T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. People can get a lot more sick from this than they would from a common cold because of where it acts in the respiratory system. Instead of just focusing on your nasal passages and giving you a runny nose, it can progress deeper down into the lungs to give a pneumonia-type syndrome. That's the voice of Dr. Jennifer Grant, an infectious disease physician at North Shore University Health System. This is WBBM's In-Depth, where we take a deep dive into a story we're telling on the air. I'm Cisco Kodo. This week, we're discussing the spread of the deadly coronavirus, including the impact it's having on international travel and economies around the globe. More than 100 people have died in China, and several thousand people have become infected by the deadly coronavirus. And that virus has spread all around the world, including right here in Chicago on Friday, January 24th. We were alerted that the second U.S. case of coronavirus was right here in the city. We want to talk about what the coronavirus actually is, also the type of symptoms and how the virus is spread. Dr. Jennifer Grant is with us again. She's an infectious disease physician at North Shore University Health System. Dr. Grant, let's just begin with the basics here right at the beginning. What exactly is coronavirus? So this thing is, is called the 2019 novel coronavirus, and it's part of a family of viruses that include things like the common cold, but also viruses that caused more severe outbreaks in the past, such as SARS. And it's a, called the novel coronavirus because it's a newly discovered virus. It seems like it originated or it did originate in Wuhan City, this large city in China. And the initial cases had links to a seafood and live animal market. And experts think that the virus likely originated from exposure to an infected animal there which is currently suspected to be, but not yet confirmed to be, bats. And so patients became infected from their exposure to these animals. And now we do know that this virus can spread from person to person. So how does that happen? How does it spread from person to person? There's a lot that we don't know about the virus, but very likely it spreads through respiratory droplets. So when an infected person coughs or sneezes, they can potentially spread this infection. Now, does that make it more difficult for people to avoid catching something like this, assuming that that's the way that it's transmitted? Because it's not it's not as simple as saying if everybody washes their hands, then this isn't going to be transferred to anyone. In the grand scheme of how infectious things are, something that is spread in the air that is spread from coughing or sneezing would be more infectious than something that you have to acquire, you know, by touching something or by blood exposure. Um, It's similar in how the common cold is spread or the flu is spread. But that being said, we don't exactly know how contagious it is because all viruses have a different level of how much they spread from person to person. So we don't know yet where on the scale this novel coronavirus falls. How contagious is it? And let's talk about the spread for a moment because we, uh, I believe, first found out about this right at the end of December. So all this has been going on for about a month. Uh, As someone Mm -hmm. who studies this, is it surprising to see something that originated possibly in one market in China, within a month, it is in countries all over the world. Yeah, I wouldn't 
say it's entirely surprising. Um, it's hard to know what this rapid rise in cases really represents. To some degree, there's also a period of catch-up as the virus has just recently been identified, and then a test for the virus has just recently been developed. Um, now, potentially more people are pre presenting themselves for testing. Um, the answers to that test are not immediate, so there's a lag time there, and there's a delay in reporting. Um, so it's a little bit hard to know what that, you know, rapid rise in numbers over the past couple of weeks really means. What sort of symptoms would someone be experiencing where uh, they might say, hey, hey, maybe there's a chance that I've come into contact with someone who, who has this? We, we don't want to be alarmist. Obviously, there's only one case in the Chicago area right now. Uh, but nonetheless, people are wondering, what, what are the symptoms of this? The symptoms can range um, like Many respiratory illnesses, it can start as something mild, similar to a cold. It can also progress to something that mimics a pneumonia. The main symptoms that we're looking for are fever, cough, having difficulty breathing. Um, when people are evaluated in the emergency room or at their doctor's office, we're looking for um, abnormal areas on their chest X-ray. But I think, as you mentioned, we don't want to be alarmist. And I think kind of the one of the big takeaways is that the general public right now is not at high risk for this. We're really focusing on people who have traveled to China and who have or potentially been exposed to somebody with the virus who are feeling sick with a respiratory illness. So if someone does get this, they are treated, they, they are quarantined in a hospital. But what does treatment look like for a virus? There is no direct treatment for this. Like, many viruses. It's just something we in the hospital call supportive care. So we give medicines to bring fever down, to help people feel better, giving them oxygen if necessary, and then monitor closely for any complications that might develop. But there is nothing, no specific medicine that we can give for this coronavirus at this time. Any precautions given the fact that this isn't widespread in the Chicago area? I mean, what, what should people be doing, even though in light of the fact that, as we mentioned, so far only one case in our area? I don't think people should be panicking in their day to day lives by any means. You know, it's obviously in the news and it's great that people are staying up to date because it is a rapidly changing situation. But right now, I think the biggest things is just to, to be vigilant and do the things you would normally do to prevent the spread of infection, like washing your hands and avoiding other people who might be sick. Um, but I don't think that there's any reason for the general public to be in a panic state at this point. Do you know what makes viruses like this deadly? Uh, not even necessarily this one, since it is so new, but a lot of people get colds and they get over colds, yet we have a lot of people who've died from this. One of the reasons this is more deadly than just the common cold is just that it does tend to cause a pneumonia-like syndrome. So people can get a lot more sick from this than they would from a common cold because of where it acts in the respiratory system. Instead of just focusing on your nasal passages and giving you a runny nose, it can progress deeper down into the lungs to give a pneumonia-type syndrome. That helps us to understand the danger in this, the danger of the coronavirus. And that means, obviously, a lot of people don't want to catch the coronavirus. It's creating travel headaches for people trying to get to and from China. Some people have trips planned, and those are being canceled Others are maybe wary of planning future trips. Joe Schwederman is joining us. Joe is professor of public services and director of the Chaddock Institute at DePaul University. 
Joe, we have so many travel restrictions and changes to China, from China. It seems like when you have a virus outbreak like this, it just makes overall travel pretty difficult. You know, China is a class of its own. I mean, just the enormity of the market, how fast it's growing, people's uncertainty about China in general, just due to the uh, risk of, you know, misinformation. So this is kind of spiraling right now. The groups are, are canceling plans. Airlines are preparing for the worst. And uh, I'm afraid this is going to be quite a long soap opera here. And because of the uncertainty over just how long this is going to go on before it gets contained, I would imagine that would present challenges for travelers who were thinking of going to China anytime in the next few months. I think that's right. You know, the sense is that the worst of the crisis, unfortunately, is still to come. We don't have good numbers on the number of infected in China. We have guesstimates. But, uh, you know, as we saw with past crises, just the, the density of population in China, these kind of diseases can spread really fast. So people looking at summer traveler, you know, scratching their heads, asking, is it going to be safe to go? And unfortunately, yeah, there's so much competition in travel now where people, you know, have lots of options. It's easy for large numbers of people to shift travel away from a market. You know, so the airlines are just in a really tough spot. Do we plan a full summer schedule? Do we scale back? And I think uh, just today we saw the airlines are, are getting very nervous about uh, about demand. Does the 737 MAX issue with Boeing, does that at all impact this or make it more difficult, or is China sort of insulated from that? Well, this does affect, uh, it does affect that. So we have a constrained U.S. market, and uh, now we have international markets that are, of course, going to suffer, particularly trans-Pacific. And things were weak over the Pacific uh, already before this happened with China's slowdown. So just, you know, you can't really relocate the planes being used for uh, trans-Pacific flights. The domestic service are just too big. They don't work uh, in, in U.S. markets. So it just creates uh, more domestic demand that may push up prices here uh, locally because international travel substitutes uh, to domestic. And that's going to make for uh, quite a quite a stressful summer. You have people who are concerned about being in China or interacting with someone here who has been to China but what about just being on an airplane in a situation like this? You have all those people all packed in, all sharing the same air. It seems like a lot of people get the common cold anytime that they're on an airplane. You know, that's what we see here. The symptoms are very similar to a common cold. We don't know a whole lot about just the uh, contagious nature of this, but people can assume the worst. And there uh, have been plenty of studies on how airplanes are environments where these kind of diseases can spread. I don't think there's any sort of panic at this point about being on a flight with somebody, uh, partly because the airport checks uh, have been put into place pretty quick that people with fever symptoms and so forth aren't uh, allowed to fly. But, you know, you never know how things are going to slip through, and, and let's just hope it doesn't uh, uh, spiral here and that people uh, assume the worst and think domestic travel is unsafe. <laughs> this thing could you know, really, really take a hit. Uh, but fortunately, China's moved fast, and the U.S. has moved fast at the airports with uh, screenings, with, uh, you know, sort of medical advisories. And so uh, I'm impressed how quick people are responding. Let's hope it's uh, been soon enough. Speaking of checks, what does it look like from the time a plane lands from Beijing at O'Hare until people would be allowed out into the city? Yeah, well, usually the, the screening has taken place right when people get off the plane. It varies by airport. Uh, of course, uh, even screening before you take off, uh, you don't wait until uh, necessarily the customs. Uh, 
But uh, that's all changing. And now the numbers that are being checked is going up so fast. You do kind of wonder just if there's enough manpower and equipment to mobilize everything. Uh, in China, you know, this, the, the checks have gotten quite stringent on high-speed rail. All areas are quarantined. And, boy, that's a different China than we saw 15 years ago where they were in denial and, and uh, did very little. Now, if anything, they're trying to show to the world that they're, uh, you know, uh, responding in ways that uh, only China can do because of its extreme centralized planning. Yeah, there was some distrust, I think, in the wake of, for example, SARS, where where people thought, oh, is China really giving us all the information? But all this has gone on in a month. I mean, yes, it's spread a lot, but we also have a lot of information out of China. Oh, we do. And uh, people look at countries with, uh, you know, communist backgrounds or communist governments, and usually it's the opposite. There's denial and misinformation and blaming, if you think of uh, uh, Russia and so forth. Uh, but China, you know, it's a different day there. I think uh, with social media and so forth that the pandemonium can spread unless you show you're being very active. And China, we now know, is, is a technologically uh, pretty advanced. I wouldn't say socially uh, they got the institutions in place. There's not a, a volunteer sector that can help. So the government really has to do it all themselves in many cases. And, and here, you know, they had the equipment ready. It was impressive that uh, – uh, they could quarantine an area. They could institute checks at high-speed trains to carry thousands of people and do that very, very fast. Uh, again, we don't know uh, if there's an element of bluster to this because it's uh, uh, we, what we know has come out of official news releases. But, but so far, it looks, uh, looks pretty impressive. So bottom line, if you're traveling here domestically somewhere within the United States, for the most part, you really don't have anything to worry about, at least not yet. I don't. I don't think so. And I do think, you know, we got to watch this and this virus could be different. But the numbers in the U.S. are so small at this point that it's uh, probabilistically, uh, you know, the far down on the list of things that can go wrong. Now, having said that, you know, we could uh, we could see outbreaks in the U.S. We've had, uh, you know, when the Ebola virus came out and even uh, some of the other early viruses, a little more uh, uh Certain communities in the U.S. were affected more than others, and we'll see if that happens. But I've been pleased that the U.S. Uh, hasn't seen any sort of evidence of, a, of an outbreak that's going to spiral. That is true. We don't see any sort of evidence that this is going to spiral. But there is still an unknown there. There's still some uncertainty, and Wall Street especially dislikes uncertainty. On Monday, January 27th, the S&P was down 1.6%. Airline stocks got hit there has been a partial rebound for sure, but what will future uncertainty bring? Andrew Bush is joining us. Andrew Bush is an economist. He is also author of the book World Event Trading. He is based here in Chicago. Andy, we have talked about this a lot over the years. The markets really do not like uncertainty. No, they don't. And I think with the coronavirus, the initial reaction is correct in the sense that um, as more and more cases became prevalent and, and, and announced by the Chinese that the market started to factor in that this could be much worse than most people expected. You got to remember that the, the re- most recent experience that these markets have with something like this it, it, from China is SARS. And with SARS, the Chinese were not forthcoming at all. They tried to cover it up for at least a month before it kind of broke out on its own. And then that's really when a lot of problems started to come. So right away, people are very circumspect of what the Chinese are telling us. And this disease is lending itself to reproducing really quickly in, in the sense of additional patients that are infected. So 
SARS took four months to reach its peak infection rate. From what I can tell, we're just a month into this. So what happened, though, to the markets? You have maybe the initial dip as people are wondering just exactly what's going on. But on the other end, they rebound, right? Well, they do, but it's it's not that fast. And certainly um, you're going to get a lot of ups and downs with this. The, the thing is, is that you have to watch for those clusters to occur, which they are happening. Um, that's how they originally uh, tracked them down, these clusters of pneumonia or an unknown virus. And then you got to watch to see how they spread. And so far, they are spreading throughout China. This isn't just in Hebe or Wuhan, and it's just not in China anymore. I mean, we're going to find out a lot more how many more of these cases there are. And um, while the CDC, the United States, and WHO – uh, World Health Organization can come out and, you know, try to calm people's nerves. The fact is that they don't know yet. So I think you just have to be very cautious when it comes to something like this. So you have many people who've died and there will likely be more. And you have a lot of people who've been sick and there will likely be more. Uh, but for investors, what are they looking at here? What what sort of uncertainty are they paying attention to? I would imagine the Chinese economy that's already been slowing. Uh, that's probably something they're paying attention to. Yeah, and I think it's the the length and the duration and the severity of it, right? So if this is a short-term shock to the system, then, you know, what will happen is we'll we'll sell off and then we'll bounce back within, you know, maybe a week or so or two weeks. But if this is more prolonged, then the uncertainty starts to build and so will the move to the downside. Um, you know, the, the companies that are going to be negatively impacted are obviously first transportation, anything with airlines. Um, then you can look into large gathering places, um, any place like a movie theater, bars, restaurants. Uh, you could look at cruise lines. Those will be negatively impacted. And um, so those are kind of the losers. The winners will be drug companies. Um, you know, Gilead Science last time and with SARS was working on something and their stock rallied pretty significantly back in 2003 and four. Uh, other companies like Netflix, we have already seen a pretty big rally in that stock. Uh, that's a, a stay-at-home service, obviously, for people not wanting to go out. Um, 3M, which does make the face masks, um, and they actually had bad earnings, so they're probably going to be mixed. I think the thing to take away from this is this, is that if a company uh, is, is having trouble already – this is going to accelerate the move to the downside for whatever is happening. In other words, if there was a troubled airline, it's going to sell off a lot faster. If there's a company that's doing well, it could get just thrown into this mix. Like, let's say there's a regional carrier in Europe. As all the airline stocks get sold, maybe this carrier is not in a region that has any outbreak. Well, it'll get thrown in with the rest of the carriers. That one was probably one that you want to buy on a dip. So that's just the way you kind of manage this. And that was the case with SARS as well. It's sort of the example of Disney, which has been doing really well. They have to shut down Disney Shanghai, but it's not necessarily going to have a huge impact on Disney. No, um, actually, it'll help their new online Disney Plus service, as people will probably go if you want something on Star Wars or The Mandalorian or you name it. Um, that's where you would go to get access to it. You wouldn't be able to go to the 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 park Right. That would be negative. So, yeah, Disney would be one of the you would expect to be negatively impacted, let's say, if there was an outbreak in California or in Orlando. So what can we do here? Is it just sit and wait and see how bad this thing gets and when it's over? 
It just depends on your risk profile. I mean, if you're more aggressive, you can jump in and, and sell some of these stocks. Um, you could buy treasury bonds, treasury notes. These are the things that, you know, risk-free assets that are going to do fine. Um, but if you're looking at this as a long-term investment play, you're, you're going to look at, and, and what I described is what you want to try to do, is try to pick the stocks that are been, have been doing well, that are strong, that are just getting lumped in with all these other stocks uh, that are maybe selling off. And those are the ones that you want to pick and choose to see if you can get them at a much cheaper price. There definitely may be some opportunities for investors, even though obviously everyone is hoping coronavirus is contained quickly. Thanks for joining us for this week's in-depth podcast. Join us next week for our discussion on Great Lakes water levels. The latest forecast says Lake Michigan and Huron will both rise above record levels. It's threatening houses, buildings, and shorelines all across the Midwest. Be sure to subscribe to receive this free podcast every Wednesday. And, of course, listen anytime for the stories that matter by listening to WBBM on the Radio.com app or on your radio. Thanks for joining us. I'm Cisco Cotto. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.